Welcome to CTSnet's brand new podcast, CTSnet Beat. I'm your host, Dr. Nikki Stamp, and I'm an adult cardiothoracic surgeon from Australia and it is my pleasure to bring you the latest research, news and interviews from the world of cardiothoracic surgery. This episode, we take a look at re-implantation of the aortic valve from Tyrone David and his group, the use of the ROS procedure in infective endocarditis, deferring surgery in type A aortic dissection, decision-making with grafts during valvular surgery and sex and outcomes after coronary revascularization. Every episode links to the articles or videos discussed will be in the show notes. In addition, you can keep up with the latest cardiothoracic news and research by subscribing to the CTSnet journal and news scan and of course by subscribing to this podcast. Most of us would be familiar with aortic valve implantation, also known as the David procedure after Dr. Tyrone David. The procedure, a method of sparing the aortic valve during an aortic root replacement, involves resecting an ascending aortic aneurysm without resecting the native valve and then re-implanting the native valve inside a Gore-Tex tube. These kinds of procedures are obviously very attractive, enabling patients to avoid anticoagulation, thrombosis risk and structural valve degeneration that can happen with biological or mechanical prostheses. Dr. David and his colleagues have reported on the long-term outcomes of this procedure with his paper published in the Journal of Thoracic and Cardiovascular Surgery. The series follows patients from 1989 to 2018 with a total of 465 patients. The mean age of the patients was 47 years old. Most patients had Marfan syndrome, but other etiologies included Lois Dietz and 13 with a bicuspid aortic valve. At 20 years, 69% of patients were alive and free from aortic valve reoperation, and the cumulative incidences were 6% for aortic valve reoperation with death and 10% for developing moderate or severe aortic incompetence. Distal aortic dissection occurred in 22 patients, primarily in those patients who had genetic syndromes such as Marfan's or Lois Dietz. Aortic valve implantation is a technically demanding procedure and perhaps will not be familiar to all surgeons. However, with long-term outcomes such as this, which are incredibly promising, it may be reasonable to ensure that, especially with our younger patients, this is presented to them as an option. This may necessitate referral to expert aortic centres. We would love to know your thoughts on the use of this procedure and how this fits in with your practice. You can find this paper in JTCVS and of course we will link it below. Sticking with the aortic route, this time we turn our attention to the ROS procedure. The ROS procedure involves harvesting a pulmonary autograph with the pulmonary valve and a portion of the pulmonary artery and using it in the aortic position. The pulmonary valve is then replaced using a homograft. The ROS procedure is a highly technical procedure which converts a single valve pathology to an operation on two valves. Like aortic valve sparing procedures like reimplantation, it's particularly attractive in young patients who wish to avoid anticoagulation or in the paediatric population while they continue to undergo somatic growth. In the European Journal of Cardiothoracic Surgery, Dr. Chauvet and colleagues present a series from five North American units where the ROS procedure was used in adults with aortic valve endocarditis. They followed 31 patients with a mean age of 43 and a mean follow-up of three and a half years. Their patient group had an actuarial survival of 88%. 
There were no in-hospital deaths, but sadly there were two late deaths from drug overdoses distant to this procedure. Commensurate with the population studied, which had a very high rate of intravenous drug use. Pulmonary homograph endocarditis related to intravenous drug use was also another observed outcome. We're all aware that intravenous drug use is a common comorbidity with endocarditis and to be able to avoid anticoagulation is obviously very attractive, particularly in this population. However, this article not only shows us the safety and utility of the ROS procedure in endocarditis, it also serves as a reminder that success is also dependent on managing the concurrent substance abuse disorder. You can read this article in the European Journal of Cardiothoracic Surgery and it will be linked below. We've all seen a patient with a type A dissection that makes us question whether or not they need immediate surgery and whether or not the pathology is chronic and surgery can be deferred until further information is obtained and can be done in a semi-elective fashion. Around the world in the current climate with the COVID-19 pandemic, decisions about triage are of the utmost importance. From the Brigham and Women's Children's Hospital in Boston and Duke University Hospitals, Dr. Saber and colleagues have given us some direction on how we might risk stratify these patients. They've performed a narrative review looking at predictors of outcome in type A aortic dissection in the literature and noted that the predictors of poor outcome are age, frailty, malperfusion syndrome and the use of oral anticoagulants, many of which we would already be familiar with. In the COVID-19 era, when hospitals have been stretched to breaking point, decisions on physical and human resource allocation have been difficult. The authors acknowledge that people with immediate threats to life, such as tamponade, need emergent surgery as is standard. But in patients with more stable signs, temporary deferral may be warranted, but acknowledge that discussion around goals of care need to be central to these decisions. You can read the full article in the Annals of Thoracic Surgery. In patients undergoing valvular surgery, we are often presented with incidental findings of moderately severe coronary artery stenosis. Generally, at the time of valve surgery, lesions that are severe enough will also be grafted. In the European Journal of Cardiothoracic Surgery, Dr. Del Forno and colleagues describe a retrospective study of 77 patients with 50 to 70% coronary stenosis undergoing valvular heart surgery. In these patients, the decision was made not to graft them and follow them up to see what happens from an ischemia point of view. Reassuringly, there were no perioperative mortalities and there was only one acute coronary syndrome which necessitated percutaneous coronary intervention. Whether or not this leads to changes in our approach, I'm not certain. Leaving unprotected territories may lead to early ischemia and if we look at a bigger cohort, this may be more evident. While this is an interesting study, it should probably lead to further investigations before changing practice. We would love to hear from you on your approach in these situations. Finally, we have an article from the Annals of Thoracic Surgery by Dr. Huckabee and colleagues from Pittsburgh examining the impact of sex on outcomes after cabbage. As many of you already know, sex is an interesting factor in coronary artery disease. Female patients experience differences and disparities in pathophysiology of coronary artery disease, delays in daughter balloon time and diagnosis, less use of evidence-based medication, and in the surgical literature, sex has been seen to impact on outcomes after cardiac surgery, with some studies reporting differences in mortality, revascularization, and even renal function. 
Long term, women may have less quality of life, less attendance to cardiac rehabilitation and more chronic pain after surgery. In this cohort of over 6,000 patients, just under a third were female undergoing coronary artery bypass grafting. Male patients were more likely to have three-vessel disease and to undergo complete revascularization, which is a concerning finding given we know the impact of complete revascularization on outcome. Female patients had an increased hazard ratio for death and major adverse cardiac events, but they did not have an increased risk for repeat revascularization. In matched cohorts, female sex was associated with lower survival at one year and at five years, minimal difference was seen. Again, as we discussed on the previous episode of this podcast, we need a lot more sex and gender disaggregated data in cardiac care, especially with mounting evidence that sex is a significant factor in outcomes with cardiovascular disease. You can read this full paper in the Annals of Thoracic Surgery. Before we sign off today, I wanted to mention the excellent work done by the organising committee for the recent EACTS annual meeting. While many of us were looking forward to enjoying the Spanish hospitality in Barcelona, the virtual meeting experience was excellent and I'm sure many of you had a bit of fun virtually walking around the meeting halls. The academic program was also great and I'd like to give a mention for having a wonderfully diverse meeting with some outstanding talks and I hope you all learnt as much as I did. Thank you all once again for joining me on CTS Net Beat podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please visit ctsnet.org and you can find me on Twitter using my handle at Dr. Nikki Stamp. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so we can be easily found and I look forward to seeing you all next time.